Hey guys, welcome back to the Racking Focus Podcast. I'm Josiah Blizzard. I am Alec Maximovich, and we are here at the United Artists Regal Theater in King of Prussia to see The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse, you and I have been anticipating this film for quite some time. Obviously, John is not with us today. John, uh, he is rehearsing for a play that he is directing uh, that's coming out later this year, I think next month in November. So he is not with us. We're going to catch up with him a little bit later. You'll hear his take on this film uh, later on in this segment. But Alec was so kind to join us again after his uh, his trip with us to Zombieland last week. Glad to have you back. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. Anytime. Uh, okay, so we've been anticipating this film for, for quite some time, um, and I want to know... Completely not on topic of The Lighthouse, what is your favorite Robert Pattinson role? Um, I really like him in the movie Remember Me, which is uh, an off take, I guess, because it did not get critical, uh, like, good good reviews. Yeah, you know, critical I, yeah. reception. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a movie I, I feel like a lot of people have heard of. Either. No, but I really like it. Um, and that was the first movie I saw him in that I actually was like, oh, maybe he can act. Uh-huh. Um, and where, Like where he wasn't uh, a, a sparkly vampire or right. Cedric Diggory? He, he had a couple scenes against... Um, yeah, what's her name in that? Uh, well, Emily de Ravine, and uh-huh. then also um, old Bond guy. Uh, Pierce Brosnan? Pierce Brosnan. He was in it. And they had a couple uh. scenes together where I thought there was actual, like, real good drama happening. You showed me that um, movie. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a few good scenes in that. Yeah. In that, like, he's good. Like, he's good in that movie. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to say the whole thing's a masterpiece, but that was the first one that I saw him in that I was uh-huh. like, okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can respect him as an actor. For sure. Uh, other than, like, Twilight, you know? There's rumors that he's um, playing Batman. I don't know if the rumors are true. He is actually playing Batman? He is, and he's bulking up for it right now. Oh, he's shoot. having a hard time, apparently. Really? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Uh, do you see him as Batman? Yes. Yeah? Cool. He's got that dark, Does he have the Does he have the chin thing. right? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Cool. You know. Uh, well, sweet. Well, let's go in and see what uh, The Lighthouse is all about. We have no idea, really, what, what is coming, so this is going to be quite interesting other than they might go mad and they probably will go mad and someone's going to spill their beans so without further ado let's sit on in. you're listening to the racking focus podcast is mine still open oh mine was still open that's what that beeping was uh, better than that lighthouse horn that was happening throughout the entire <laughs> film. Oh, I loved it. Oh, man. Uh, okay, well, we're back with our second, well, I guess it's really the first half, the second half to our intro. Right. But we survived the lighthouse. Um, spoilers ahead, just letting you know. Um, spoilers ahead. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe no, nah, definitely sp- call it spoilers, but oh, definitely spoilers. Stuff that happens okay. that you could spoil, you know. Sure. I could list a whole bunch of things sure, right okay. now. Okay. I mean, Willem Dafoe dies after he gets buried oh, and dragged out like a dog. Right. Um, you know, he dies. Uh, uh, they go mad and they definitely spill their beans, or they one of them spills spill their beans. beans. Um, and uh. Yeah, Robert Pattinson gets picked apart by seagulls at the end of the movie. Yeah. I hope you guys really believed me when I said that this was spoiler-filled, because it truly is. All of that yes, happened. That um, the question I always start with is, 
what did you think? <laughs> and, or did you think? <laughs> I, I have no idea. This movie was like if you took Jack Nicholson from The Shining and then put him in a room with Jack Nicholson from, from The, the Shining, Shining, added a couple mirrors and a lot of alcohol. A lot of alcohol. That was the movie. This was it was nuts, dude. It was I, so nuts. I had I have not seen um have not seen The Witch, which no. um which which witch? The Witch that director Robert Egg, Eggers Eggers mm. also directed a couple years back. Um that had critical acclaim as yes. far as like independent film goes. So uh I hadn't seen it. Uh it's a horror film, I believe. You know me, I'm not that big on horror films. I can't you know, we're not even going to go down the rabbit trail that is Midsummer, But, um... But I do love horror films. You love horror films, and you've shown me quite a few. Uh, and I do enjoy the films that mm-hmm. you show me, so that's it's nice. But, um, I didn't know what to expect coming into this film, because... Me neither. Uh, you know, I don't know this guy's directing style, don't know what he does. I mean, based off of, like, the trailer for this film, I knew it was going to be weird, and it was going to be a little different than what you're typically seeing, and I will... 100% say, like, there's going to be a lot of people out there who see this movie that are going to really not like it. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm anticipating a lot. Like, this, I don't think it's going to get widespread release in, in any way, right? But, like, no. let's say it was, like, not a limited release, just every theater had it. There's going to be a lot of people walking out, I think, in the middle of this movie. Yes. Like, a lot of people. And they're going to be people saying, this movie is horrible. Don't go see it. Not a recommendation. Like... And that brings me to the question of, should you see this movie? Was it actually good? Because right now, the critics are saying that it's good. Like, it is, it has a high rating. I do think it's good. I think it is, too. Um, I think it will be one of the few films that has such a drastic difference on something like Rotten Tomatoes between the critic rating and the and audience, the audience score. score. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's going to be drastic. This is... This is a movie that could have come out in 1940 and still had the same impact. You know what I mean? Like, yes. And, and it takes a certain amount of patience. It takes a certain amount of disbelief, uh-huh. I think. Um, and art in the sense of that you don't... It doesn't have to all be spoon-fed to you or realistic. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're, you're, you, you can walk away from art with questions. This is definitely art. Like yes. this is it. This uh, it's it is an art piece. Yes. Um, in the same way that, like, Picasso is painting a weird abstract, but yet familiar, painting sometimes yes. potentially. This is like out there for mm-hmm. sure. However, it makes sense. Like if you are gonna pay attention, you're not gonna like you have to listen and watch. Um, and really be attentive to what is happening. But it's still up for interpretation, I think. One, yeah, 100%. And I think we could argue back and yeah. forth about who was going crazy, how long were they there, Yes, this, this what was happening. This movie made me switch sides from the characters' perspectives. I mean, obviously we're coming right. in from uh, Robert Pattinson's characters. They're both named Thomas. We're just going to call... Well, they, Pattinson's Winslow. We'll and they, they Winslow. play off that they're all, yeah. they could be the same person at yeah. different ages going through the same thing. Yes. Which I think was it was a mirroring effect. It yeah. was very interesting. Yeah. It, there's I think there's a lot of breakdown on this. And I think, obviously, this is just our take. We've yeah. literally just walked out of the theater. This is a movie that I know for a fact that I will love 
more in like three days than I do right now. Yes. Because I'm going to read about six articles or seven articles when I go home tonight. And I'm going to want to see it two more, more times. times. Not necessarily in the theaters, but right. like, I'm going to want to see it again to dissect it more and right. to see what stuff is seeded earlier. Yeah, absolutely. No, same, same, same place. Um, let's look at a technical breakdown real quick mm-hmm. on cinematography, production design, sound design, those sort of things. Um, what stood out to you most? Sound design. Oh, we're on the same page. I was worried you were actually going to go say cinematography. No. Cinematography was okay. Sound design. This movie, if you want the full impact, has to be seen in a movie theater. Good. I that Yes. You were right Hands in down. sync here. That yes. was the most The sound design was incredible. Design. Yeah. Like, and we talked about it before having gone to see it. You, mm-hmm. were, you were not sure what they were going to do with the sound. No. And I think I mentioned, like, I'm expecting there to be, like, just a lot of like waves crashing and like wind blowing through and like things like the atmospheric stuff. Mm-hmm. And there definitely was, but it was so heightened along with just, ah, uh, just everything was, it was just like a mind trip of there was sound. Constant whining and yeah. screaming and, yeah. and it would change so often, but it would go from so loud to so quiet. Mm-hmm. And it really, the, it was so important to have, that level of audio, I think. Yeah. So that when he was getting annoyed by it, we were getting annoyed by yep. it. If you listen to this on your television at like a medium volume, you're not, not going to have the same impact. Yeah. At no, all. I, you know, absolutely. You know, sound, I 100% agree on. Um, it was, it was like blasting. And my ears were ringing at mm-hmm. one point. Like they were legit ringing. Um, the sound, yeah. Whoever did sound, we can honestly probably pull that person up. And applaud them because they were awesome. it was great. Like the sound was really good, um, but always still compact and still important to yeah. what was going mm-hmm. on. They never overdid it just to overdo it. No, you're right. They, it didn't feel like um, this is funny. The cast, the cast list on IMDb is three people. It's <laughs> uh, hilarious. Uh, all right, sound sound design. Uh, oh my, sound design. Okay, we have 21 people in that department, but a lot of foley recording. Um, Foley artist, Foley artist, Foley artist, um, ADR, Foley, ADR, Foley, dialogue. Uh, yeah, there's just, a, I mean, do we have a sound mixer? I just have a sound department. There's no, like, oh, that's yeah, a shame. Sure. I don't know. I don't know where they are on this list here. But, um, yeah, incredible. Um, I want to go back to what you said about the cinematography, and that it was okay. Yes. Uh, can you tell me why it was okay? Well, okay, that's mean. I know. It's, um, I know. I'm just picking at you here. It was okay in the sense that it was shot on 16 millimeter. 30. I think it was. Or 35. I think it was 35. I thought it was 16 at first too, and then I think I read that it was 30. Well, okay. We can confirm here. So there's here. limitations with that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also things that that can do well for you. There was some framing that. This was shot at aspect ratio one nineteen to one, mm-hmm. in black and white color. On 35 millimeter 35. Eastman double X five two two two, on a Panavision Panaflex Millennium X twelve. Interesting. With Bosch and Lom Balter lenses. It means a, probably a lot of post so, audio work. Oh yeah, probably. Um, that, those cameras are loud. Yeah, I imagine that's all that ADR stuff we were just yeah. I was just seeing in there and the re-recording artists mm-hmm. and all that. I would imagine that ninety percent of this movie is probably just completely. Like post audio, yeah, and that's um, the other thing with you know you, you talk about this being an older looking film, right? This film looks like it could have come out 
in 35 or 40 and been like completely up with the times. Yeah. It's, it's displayed in four by three. It's, you know, the only thing that's different is that the sound doesn't have that tin. Um, right. The high, like the, the, the higher frequencies yes. aren't and, as prevalent. And the film is, looks better. It's cleaner. Yeah. Because they obviously have better processes. Right. And absolutely. it's digitized. And so we're not seeing all those snaps and pops. Right. And, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you don't have all the, the, the scratches and the fuzz of the print. Right. right? Like, so he, here's the thing that I say about cinematography. It's it's interesting that just, I mean, The Shining has the same. I'm going to relate this, this a lot go to The ahead. Shining. Go ahead. Um, there's the shots that don't feel right, but they're probably on purposely not feeling right. Define not feeling right. Is this like it made um, you uneasy or it was just like, was it... Was yeah, it, do you remember there was the, the, the two shots going off? back and forth between Pattinson and Defoe, and Defoe was over by the window, and he was framed so far to the left of frame, and the majority of what we were seeing was the window, and he was having the conversation. It just, it gave this mm. uneasy feeling, and some of it I felt was good, and some of it I felt was distracting. And okay. if it was distracting, maybe I wasn't focusing on what the director cinematographer wanted me to focus on right. necessarily. Um, well, that's what's it interesting. It could be my 21st century mind, like uh-huh. being like, "Man, pan left." That's but... the funny thing, though, about this being in a, uh, I mean, practically a square ratio yeah. of something being overly justified to the left mm-hmm. or to the right, because. At this point, like if if you were framing this as if it was in sixteen by nine, right, mm-hmm. where he is in left of frame in four by three is really kind of just center left in a regular yes. sixteen by nine aspect ratio. So, just kind of interesting. Like, how do you go about framing in four by three with um, without making everybody center? Right. You know, and that was a worry I actually had in the beginning of the film when we started watching and the and the first couple frames came up. I was like, oh, this starts. This feels a little too Wes Anderson already. It did feel I felt like Anderson-y. really I was like this. You can't do this. The whole movie. You can't do this. And then thankfully it moved apart from that. But there is very clear linear movement of the blocking and like what they're it, doing for parts of like the uh, almost explicitly the outside yes. is completely like we're going to walk directly towards camera directly across camera um we're gonna be pretty much like they were pretty much centered yeah or at least even with the the, the camera right with the yeah. i don't know how to describe that but parallel to the camera in a way like if they're tracking across it's com- it's their complete side for the most part like yeah. it was weird it was strange uh and then the inside stuff was way more chaotic obviously and especially when they were drinking especially when they were drinking so i mean i would say i i actually really enjoyed the cinematography mm-hmm. um it's nice and refreshing to see a film that is uh, so completely different than what you're typically seeing. Like, yes. I, I mean, I love watching black and white movies shot, I mean, especially today, shot beautifully, beautifully lit. Like, they went for the, the high contrast look. Um, I, the lighting has to be so spot on to shoot in black and white for an audience today mm-hmm. um, and still kind of retain our attention uh and so for this film to like one beautifully light people like light people like just it's not i don't want to say like um oh what's the word it's it doesn't flatter them you know it's definitely not supposed to be flattering light but it's you can tell it's lit you know like it is lit masterfully for a you know but it still makes sense in the world yes 
it's motivated. All the light is motivated yeah. in this film, but um, it is so specifically lit. Like everything, like if there's like a little pocket of light, yeah. they wanted that pocket of light there. Right. There's no like random light that's just spilling in from somewhere. Right. It is very purposeful. Um, so I loved that. Loved the contrast that the black and white brought, and maybe some details that it hid, so you could notice certain aspects of oh, what it definitely helps showing, you focus right? on what they want you yeah to focus absolutely on. uh this film it would it wouldn't i don't know if it would work in color oh it wouldn't be the same no it, it would feel weird right would it yeah. feel strange and imagine watching this back and it being completely like it's it full it, color or like uh, or like uh early hitchcock color like technicolor or something yeah, like that the you issues know is the color then you have that extra level of oh, well, he was wearing a red tie in this scene, but a blue tie in this scene. What's that mean about the masculinity of his character? But that and, all and that is time. And time. And all that's taken away. Yeah. So we literally just, it's such a character piece. Yeah. And I liked the black and white. I thought it was utilized well, like you said, with the high contrast. And I felt like they still sh were able to change the moods of the shots. Yeah where I felt brighter and lighter, and then I felt darker. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do without color. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, so and, I like that. And every all the light, like I said, felt motivated. Like, And they, it felt like practical light. You know, a lot of the times mm -hmm. they're just having a lantern yeah. in the one room. And I'm like, I want to know if this was actually... Is this just lantern light right now, or is oh, no this way. like there's no way? But like no maybe way. there is. Like freaking Kubrick is gonna go shoot Barry Lyndon, and yeah. he's shooting a scene that's only lit with candles, and yeah. he's using like a freaking NASA lens. So like, I don't know. It just depends on the filmmaker, right? Yeah. I don't know Robert Eggers or Eggers, however you say his name, what his work is like. I maybe I have to go watch The Witch now and kind of see what he does. I hear it's good. Yeah. yeah, and see what he does in that, just to kind of get a better understanding of what this film could be. But. um yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Let's let's talk about performances um, real quick. Oscars, give them both best them actor. <laughs> both of them, them together. But what about Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems no, later this year? These two need to walk on stage together <laughs> holding hands. It will be the first time in Oscars that two people win the same award. They That's Is that going to be the first time? Has that, it never been done before? That a couple has won? Yes, I think that would be the first time. Did you say a couple? Yes. Like, both their names would be on it. It would still be one trophy. It would, oh. Both their names would be on it. As they're together and, as Thomas. As Thomas. It would just say Thomas, <laughs> Thomas. on the Oscar. Yes. Uh, oh, my gosh. No, they they were astounding. Such awful chemistry, which was good chemistry. You oh know what I mean? God, um, so true. And I there's think, so, didn't think about that. And there's so much trust that must have gone into that acting process and to to build the different scenes and i don't know what order they must have shot it in um because obviously you have those yeah. jump cuts where they literally go from fist fighting to slow dancing um yeah but there's that's as an actor that's got to be a very interesting uh relationship to play yeah. Where literally you're uh, in a drunken fueled rage, yeah, and yeah. then you're, but it's still th this For person sure. you're stuck with them. Yeah, you know, and there's no cell phones, there's no TV, there's no radio, and so like, they still like are together, and he's like, the jokes like, oh, I trust you. No, I no, I don't. Oh, of course, I don't trust you. you. Yeah, like they're yeah. just, they're playing the roles <laughs> almost. They're yeah, and it's interesting to see these characters break down and. Who's breaking down? But no, the chemistry is amazing. I mean, amazingly horrible, but because it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the commitment that they had, I think, to 
the script um, and to their director even, like, asking them to do certain things. Like, I cannot imagine reading the script and being, like, super thrilled to lay in a ditch and have some guy throw dirt on me and then continue monologuing. Also, the amount of monologues that Willem Dafoe had in this film was, like... There was one monologue after he was, like, pissing him on about... um, Pattinson's character not approving of his dinners. Mm-hmm. He he monologued for like a long time. Like yeah. I completely forgot what he was talking about. That was the interesting part too. Is they had such conviction in their monologues, and so much of their monologues was nonsense. Okay, good. And I'm like, glad we felt no, no, the same no. way. I was I, like, this feels like gibberish. To I've me. been like, like, I've been trained in Shakespeare. I've been trained in classic yeah. literature. Some of that was nonsense. Yeah. And I think that that was the point. Like, uh-huh. you lose what they're saying. You're like, wait, yeah. what that I felt like I was going sense. crazy listening to his monologue. No, I think that was totally... Okay, I would have cool. to read the script. Yeah. But I think that was totally on purpose. Okay. Is that you lose their train of thought in the rambles because he's giving these monologues while he is drunk. drunk like, gone. So, I think that's on purpose. Okay. I hope that's on purpose. Okay, I'm glad we're in the same boat then because yeah. I felt like I was... Lo- I was like, no. how can I not pay attention to what he's saying? Like, I'm trying to listen so it was hard. Nonsense. Okay, good. Okay, I okay. Glad we're in the same boat, um, but so so many monologues. I feel like from Willem Dafoe. But he was so convicted. It was. It. it was. I was. I was enthralled by what he was saying. Yeah. I just couldn't pay attention to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was pretty insane. Um, I want to ask you one more question before we cut to John. He's seeing this uh, by himself, and he's going to give you a little review on his own here. But I want to ask you one question. And this is something you and I talk about whenever we're writing together or, mm-hmm. or uh, making something together, whatever it is. Um, and you've learned this from one of your professors at DeSales University when mm-hmm. you were in film school there. And you bring up the question a lot of, but why is this a movie and not a play mm-hmm. or another medium? Do you feel like this is only cinema or could this have been easily transferred into another medium? I think it could be transferred well i think it could be a book Mm -hmm. i think you wouldn't get some of the craziness as well yeah um but i think it would heavily suffer as a a different medium of like a a stage play or something like that in the sense that they really did play with you losing time yeah and the jump cuts in between and it was reminiscent of them blacking out and only remembering bits and I think it served film very well. Cool. And so I, this would this you would still say then that this is strongest in film format. Oh, in, I, in I, motion picture format. I do think so. Okay, cool. I want to. I just I wanted to ask because sometimes that leads us to uh, understanding what was great about it. And yeah. you said the editing. Um, yeah. And the editing was something that is often very overlooked, and in this movie, it could easily be overlooked. I think, but those jump cuts, I think, are, are spot on. You mentioned like. Yeah, I mean, you're missing portions with them. Um, and we really don't know how much time has passed going back to cinematography even because you're you're missing colors. You don't know how much time has passed. No. You don't know what the sun looks like. You don't, you're not getting like a spectrum of is it sunset? Is it sunrise? Is it midday? I don't know. I don't know how the shadows are falling. Like yeah. it's foggy out. It's misting the whole time. Like I don't know how things are reacting to the lights. And uh I mean, even, like, I'm like, we didn't see him shave once no. in the entire piece. And I'm like, it's been, has it been five weeks? Because you can grow a beard in five weeks. Uh, has it been two days? Or has it been two days? Like, I don't know. Like, 
are they the same person? Like, I don't know. Are they really there? Or is he actually up in Canada right now? On a, no. You know, frostbitten. And I think they're the really there. They're definitely there in my head. I yeah, think Defoe was messing with Oh, them. for sure. <laughs> uh, or was he messing with himself? Like, I don't know what this is. That's such a strange film. Um, but we can ponder that for a little bit. Let's cut to John and hear what John has to say. Uh, and then we'll come back um, and kind of wrap up. But in this particular film, partly because of the style of its production, it's a perfect way for him to show and showcase the kind of work he can do. He looks spectacular on screen. The makeup work is extraordinary, and his accent is fascinating. And above all else, the richness of his portrayal, the depth of discovery, and the -the over-the-top work that he can do, that large-scale, broad acting, it is inhabited inside of a subtle and thoughtful performance. It's really amazing. His scene where he is, uh, spoilers again, buried, is extraordinary work it was funny that i i took a seat farther back in the theater than i'm used to there were there were a lot of seats sold for the show and so i ended up sitting farther back than i'm used to sitting when i go to see a film with josiah and uh, i was struck immediately by the cleverness and beauty of the sound plot but also the fact that the sound plot felt very contained in the space it was all blasting forward really and it turns out uh, with just a quick peek that the sound mixes in mono which is fascinating there's no question in my mind that that this film is channeling both the world of early 20th century horror and silent filmmaking or early sound filmmaking but really to some extent silent filmmaking it also screams of the swedish world of psychological horror and german psychological horror films of the 1960s and late 50s even early 70s the black and white is extreme. The shadow usage looks just like silent film. And the aspect ratio, the 1.19 to 1, that sort of old school aspect ratio, is incredibly interesting on the screen. When I looked at those uh, those images and the, you know, the, the black would fall off into the black of the screen... That, whether intentional or unintentional, I can't imagine it is not intentional, made the black of the world outside of there that much larger. And then light comes and cuts them into this very tight, almost vertical box that echoes the lighthouse image in the movie. Spoiler information in particular, the the sex scene with the, or the sex, imagine sex scene, the sex experience with the mermaid was extraordinarily fascinating and graphic and far went much farther than I anticipated it would. And that was daring and exciting to see. I also think that the, um, the almost romance scene between Pattison and Defoe's characters, and I'm going to skip names because they change throughout the film, was completely expected in the end, and its result expected as well. This particular film as it says in the credits, draws so much from actual journals, commentaries, etc. from the period. But in addition, the fractured nature of the story becomes clearly psychological, but also as a result of the fact that the story is coming from so many different root sources, I would assume. There isn't logic in this film, and I think one of the things I want to say is, on a second viewing, maybe I can find some streams of narrative continuity, but this is a film of psychological drama, and like those films from the Swedish and German world of Russian films, some of those old psychological silent films, 
this film does not require narrative continuity. Things happen that are about images. Things happen that are about emotional or intellectual content. We struggle to draw a line to make sense of how character gets from place A to place B. But it doesn't matter for the filmmaking experience. It's a slow-paced, methodical, thoughtful film full of high-energy acting. And I think I'm going to dump straight the review and I, I don't know rating and I don't know whether the guys are really interested in that or if I'm going to jump the gun on it. This is a fascinating film to rate. I would say that it is a film that you should see if you are comfortable with classic filmmaking. But if you're not, you need to go learn some things beforehand to really enjoy the film. You need to go and engage in some of those films, Nosferatu, The Seventh Seal, certainly for visual image or The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. These are all films that you could watch to sort of get yourself ready for what this is. The uh, aspect ratio is so unique. It is so different than one might one expect. It is fully as AMC calls it, an artisan film. And so I would rate this, uh, 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 you should go see this. I don't know whether I would require people, in my sense, to go see it in a theater. That rating doesn't match what I think of the filmmaking quality and the design of this particular film. So, for psychological madness, for astoundingly beautiful and horrible images, for beautiful cinematography, I rate this mighty high. It is a challenging film for the viewer. And now, back to the other guys. All right, thank you for sharing, John. Um, So, we've covered most of everything as far as, like, cinematography and sound design and like that sort of thing all in my opinion all great acting i mean it's just masterfully made yes um the whole movie um production design was the one thing that we hadn't brought up yet and Mm -hmm. i mean this place is littered with like little knickknacks clocks uh papers and i mean a freaking axe goes through the table at one point um I don't know if they shot this on location on an island somewhere if they built a sound stage for the house or like what how they did this um there are times where there's a wide shot of the island and you can see the lighthouse and the buildings and stuff and it looked again I'm going to bring Wes Anderson up again um it reminded me of the same way that he kind of shows exteriors of like the Grand Budapest Hotel mm-hmm. um things like that like it looked like it could exist in the space but at the same time like this kind of looks off a little bit yes was do you think it was a matte painting or there was some kind of model work model yeah um not a real lighthouse that they i mean i think they actually shot in a lighthouse at some point yeah but i know um, the shots you're talking about and i think they were they were miniatures or something miniatures they were yeah 100 percent. yeah because you're not gonna find an island that has like that exact layout, right? Like, no, and you could, and you could build it, and you could do it, but still, then getting those shots and yeah. having them look the way you want them to look, it makes more sense to do miniatures. Yeah, um, it's cheaper too. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Cool. I, I wanted to, I, I want to know your I opinion because th- yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out in my head. I'm like, I mean, these maybe could be not, fake. These could be but... real. Um, I know this was shot up in Nova Scotia. Um, from uh. But yeah, like what you're talking about, those wide zoom, like not zoom in, but the, the slow crawl-ins of the island and yeah, it yeah. was it was a darker, um, darker, rougher version of Wes Anderson at that point. I agree that the very beginning of the film had a little Wes anderson Yeah. But yeah. I think later on, it really found its own. So everything was shot up in Nova Scotia. Apparently there was a location for the lighthouse in Cape Fortune. Um, and then they were on a soundstage in Halifax, 
Um, so yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm look up. I'm gonna look up Cape Fortune here real quick. But um, I'm sure um, once bonus features come out, we might have answers to that too. Okay, so it sounds like so this is Cape Fortune. Uh, looks nothing like. No. You guys Google it. it looks nothing it like probably, the original. This is probably for the staircase and stuff like that. Staircase for a lot of the exteriors on yeah. the cliffs and. Yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely the exteriors. I think. Um, yeah. Interesting. Oh yeah, and the cliffs. That would make sense, because you're not gonna want to. Build. Build that. that. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you would. I don't know. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's let's wrap up here with just uh, ratings on should you and we kind of already answered this. Should you see it in theaters? Should you uh, wait and get it on streaming? Should you avoid it at all costs? Somewhere in between there. Um, what do you think? Uh, I think if you're a cinephile, if you like psychological thrillers, um, I think if you're intrigued after watching the trailer, mm-hmm. uh, go see it in the theater. Yeah, I think that the audio is worth it. Um, and go see it in a theater that you know has good audio. Um, I really do think that that drastically helped. Um, if you can't, I would just recommend... Um, like sound canceling headphones yep or something that you could really kind of push a little bit that uh, will, will engulf you in the world um, I think that's yeah. important for a lot of horror films especially this one this was not was quite horror but I think it's very important this film borders on so many genres of uh, you said psychological thriller mm-hmm. horror um, yeah like it's I mean, Rom-com, at times it's a buddy know. comedy like yeah. it's like <laughs> there's there's this thing has everything in it um so, uh, yeah, like, I, I agree with you. Definitely go see it in theaters. And you said, again, like, if this intrigues you, even the slightest, the trailer, um, go see it. Because uh, it, it is, it's definitely worth the watch. Um, be patient with it. This is another one from A24 that's just, like, a home run. But yeah. it's it's definitely meant for a specific audience. It's not a date night movie. It's not a date night. Go, you know, go with you, your friend. <laughs> go with your friend. Go with your dad, maybe. Yeah, by yourself, even. Yeah. Take yourself out on a date. Treat yourself. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned when we first sat down, like, you were like, look at all the single people here. There's a lot of one people groups. That, it's fine. I've done it. Oh, so have I. But it's, uh, you don't see that in every movie, but this is definitely the type of movie that you're going to see. Like Black this. and white, 35 millimeter character yeah. piece on a Thursday night. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not, not necessarily the, the best Valentine's Day movie, right? Of no. course, it's coming out now. So, um, yeah, hopefully this has some Oscar buzz and uh, mm. everybody is kind of given their respective due, I guess. Right. Yeah. Like, I think um, I think this is good for for Pattinson to put him on the map a little bit more as a serious actor. Yeah. Um, not somebody who just plays. You know, these side pieces and or I guess he's a main character in Twilight. But again, I said the word Twilight on a film podcast. I feel like that's so wrong. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. He did good. Yeah. Go see it in theaters. Um, but yeah, don't avoid this at all. Like, definitely see it. It's it's good cinema. Um, I'm excited for everything else that A24 is going to put out. Um, Uncut oh, Gems. Yeah. We saw the trailer for that earlier in the film. Yes. Uh, excited for that one. Um Excited to see Adam Sandler kind of do something completely yeah. different than, like, Mr. Deeds or something. So, anyway, thanks for being here, man. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Guys, stay tuned. We're going to come back. John and I are going to talk about the film and uh, get into it a little bit with some uh, other research uh, and what our thoughts are after seeing the film a few days later. So, stay tuned, guys.
Hey guys, welcome back to the second half of the Racking Focus podcast. Uh, this week we are talking about The Lighthouse. This is our second part and John is finally with us and it's been a week since I've seen the movie. It's only been, what, when did you see it? Sunday? I saw it Sunday. So a couple days for so you. So just a couple days for me. It cool. still feels like a little while. Yeah, mine, mine's, it's fading a little bit from my memory. Um, this should be an interesting conversation yeah, then. Yeah, but like, it's, it's a movie I haven't stopped thinking about no, since I, I've seen it. I feel the same way. So it's just been like, it's just been one of those things where it's just slowly, I'm distancing myself from it, but I need to see it again. Um, I want to see it again. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So once again, spoilers, uh, if you've made it this far, you already know that we've spoiled pretty much everything in this movie. Um, John, I want to know what you think about the film (laughs) since we weren't together. So just give me a brief like rating or like what you thought just real quick. Yeah. I, um, so my feelings about it have changed actually from the original viewing. Mm. Um, I was in a full theater, which was interesting really? at an afternoon show. I was at a um, 12.45 uh, screening and it was, I mean, there were very few empty seats. I was really? bo- on both sides, there were people. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and there was less shuffling than I thought there would be as the film progressed because it's demanding. And I guess my review of this film, like in a few moments is it's a highly demanding film that requires great attention and care and that you're paid back for all of that care. Yeah. But it is very challenging and not narratively clear. So for a contemporary movie audience, there's so many barriers. It's difficult. It's as if you're watching a foreign language film. Yeah, or a silent film, mm-hmm. you know, or a, you know, an Igmar Bergman film, yeah. uh, something like that. You know, that that's and that's what I talked about in my little review that we haven't heard each other's reviews. Right, yet. right, right. Yeah. So it that's hilarious because when Alec and I went to see it, uh, Thursday night, I guess we saw it and it came out that Thursday. And so we expected there to actually be a decent amount of people in the theater, but it was pretty much us two and a bunch of single people. Like the major, there may have been twelve other people in our theater, or thirteen other. That's people. so interesting. It was empty. All couples. Really, I was the only single person in the theater. <laughs> they were all couples. In well, we the were space. commenting. We were so good. We were saying like, this is the type of movie that you don't go see with your wife because your wife doesn't want to go see this film. Like, this is just not something. This is like, okay, I'm just gonna go see a movie by myself. This is the movie that you go see because no one else is interested in seeing this weird artsy fartsy piece with you. You know, that's black and white old looking movie uh that's weird that it's that kind of shocks me that sunday was and a, it, was i thought at house. first it looked like there were old people there like like my age or older yeah. um and then it wasn't it, there a whole these young people came in near the end really? during the absolutely bizarre trailer run like as trailer oh, runs oh, go it did not know what to play incomprehensible uh-huh. trailer run yeah. yeah i loved it but yeah. it was pretty strange i think i think we might have gotten a charlie's angels um, I didn't get Charlie's Angels, yeah. or I'd have been more excited. It, it was so strange. I was like, "This is a weird movie to advertise for, right over the lighthouse." Um, anyway, yeah, it's. I don't know how to sum up this movie in a couple sentences, other than it's it is complex and uh, stunning and disgusting and a whole bunch of adjectives that you could use to describe this movie, but. Uh, other than, I mean, I loved the performances. I loved the cinematography. I, lo- I mean, I loved the. I mean, the choices that they were making were so like distinctive um, and purposeful. It wasn't just like they're shooting for coverage. You know, like every shot was like very specific. You know, they're yeah, not doing absolutely. like a wide master shot just to have a wide master shot. They're like, we're gonna go on a close up because that's the shot we want. 
Yeah, and everyone knew where they needed to be, and we'll yeah. talk about that as we go through the process here. But it, it, yeah, and I think when I said, and I'll say again, the mm -hmm. performances are startling. Yes, and so is the cinematography and the choice to shoot on film, uh, and old stock, like old stock film, is br like brilliant. Yes, uh, yeah. The thing I struggled with in the beginning of it, really, to be honest, was: is this a film by an art student? like a film student or is this a film by a film professional? Right. But very quickly it became clear it was a film professional. Like right. I, I could see some kid in his senior year in film school producing this, yeah. but not this film, a w film that has a the components of, of this film. Yeah. Yeah. It's just done really well. The difference would be that the film student would have had a formulaic plug and play sort of like, I want this and this and this, but I don't know how to completely make it cohesive. Whereas Robert Eggers is actually... It feels it feels like Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe went back in time to 1890, and they somehow took a camera with them from the 1930s and shot a movie. Exactly. Yeah. But they had today's audio. Right. Well, yes. Which they is had, what they was did startling. have today's yeah. audio. Yeah. You didn't get the high high uh, frequency tin can kind of yeah and sound. That, well, that foghorn and the foghorn. It's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Um, you said you didn't have a review to read. I don't right? have a review. You, to you read. have a lot of content though. Um, I'm going to read a quick review from a guy named Mick LaSalle from the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, don't know how credible the San Francisco Chronicle is, but we're going to read from him here. Uh, I found this on Rotten Tomatoes. It's just a little snippet. Uh, sure. He says, The Lighthouse has only enough story to fill a 25-minute zone episode. I'm assuming he uh, means the Twilight Zone, uh, and that's including next week's coming attractions and two obligatory and very welcome monologues by Rod Sterling. <laughs> uh, he gave it like a really low rating if you can't tell um, I just you know I just picked one out of the bunch that I was finding on Rotten Tomatoes as far as critic reviews go that were right. in the, the rotten category uh, because they all pretty much said the same thing and that is that the lighthouse as beautiful as it is and as wonderfully acted as it was there's zero story to this whole thing and I just completely disagree with I like so, I don't know why people feel like story needs to be this massive epic thing. Like, why does plot need to be this huge? I don't know. Like, why? Why does it? Why, well, and linear. What, if nothing right. else, just it doesn't need to be linear. Right. And even if even if the lighthouse is a linear story, then it is still a story. There is right. still plot. There is still things happening. Sure, it may be the same scene told in different ways over and over and over again, but there's still plot and there's still story here and it does last an hour and 40 minutes or whatever the runtime is on yeah. this movie, but there is definite plot. Yeah, and the idea of those repeated scenes is a structure that is telling us something about the experience of being in the lighthouse. Yeah. You, you don't falsify the experience right. in order to... Uh, to, to make people engaged, you the experience is what we're learning about. And so maybe those critics can't engage with something right. that's repetitive. That's a that's a difficulty for them, not yeah. for the film, which legitimately is making those choices. It's not wasted space. Right. Right. Uh, it's purposeful. Like I, I felt like, oh my gosh, this is happening again, but not in the same and not in the sense of like this is boring, of like they are going freaking mad. And like if I was doing this every single day I would go nuts as well, probably. And if I was being manipulated by Willem Dafoe's character, 
Certainly. Yeah, and yeah. the passage of time is important, and you need to see those repetitions. You need to see the horribleness of repeat, eating the same bizarrely right. disgusting meal. Right. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in the theater trying to figure out what flappy meat they were eating. Like, it was really <laughs> a lot for me. Um, and But then the idea of not drinking and then drinking, right? Like yeah. each of those things has to happen sequentially. And right. I, that's what I would say. This movie is extraordinarily well sequenced. Right. even if it doesn't have a traditional story. Yeah. And that's good filmmaking. That's not bad filmmaking. Right, exactly. I mean, I think about, you know, realism pieces. Like, just because something it feels like it's real life doesn't mean that it lacks story or plot. It just means that it's slower than your average-paced movie. I mean, we watched, um, what was that? Um, was it a Korean film? Maybe it was Japanese. Oh, you're at your killing house. me now. The, uh, the Hulu, the, oh, Hulu. the shoplifters. Shoplifters. I mean, very, very basic sort of story, you know? And, like, it's it definitely is realism as far as, like, story goes. And, I mean, you're not going to get a slower film than something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. Like, so, but it just doesn't mean that there's not a story there. So, let me hear what you got as far as... Uh, well, what I want to say is that I think one of the most interesting things for me in this journey post-film was to do research and listen to Robert Eggers talk about the movie. Yeah. You know, um, I have, I mean, we have limited experience with him as a director, right? Yeah. And so I had to really come to terms with the fact I don't know his content. And I know that his content is known by people in the film industry, right? Right. Uh, I heard him talk about the fact that the moment he won the director's award at Sundance, he got a phone call to work on a franchise film from a company that had not seen his movie. Can you imagine, um, that's, that's let's say, startling. The Hulk done by the man who did The Lighthouse, you know, <laughs> or Thor by The like, It's just a, uh -huh. a completely different world. And so, so I heard him talk about that. But these interviews are great. And the one, uh, there's two in particular I want to talk about. One of them is from Film at Lincoln Center. And you can search it on YouTube. It's a 50-minute okay. conversation. They actually talk about another film of his that you have to watch on your own while you're there. It's it's a fantastic interview and he talks about things about his dedication to research yes and his care about that specificity and not cheating around the corners of that he talks about his beginnings in theater and how he and defoe really linked up on theater uh, i may have been listening to the same thing it's so from film good. comment the podcast i was listening to was well, film comment right uh from the film at lincoln center uh, with Chief yeah, so there you Robert. go. That's yeah, one so of them. So it may yeah. be the same thing. And then there's another one at Landmark Theaters. It's a 24-minute long YouTube piece. It actually just was posted. Like, it's posted three days ago. I oh, wow. listened to it right in the middle of it. Really fascinating conversation. And there's a couple of others. Uh, Cinema Blend has an interview with him that's pretty good. And there's an interview uh, on Now This Entertainment. It's not cool. as good, but it's more poppy, and it's only six minutes long. Right. They're... They, I really felt like I didn't want to read what other people said about it. It's too soon for people to do real analysis of this. There were a couple of let me explain it videos that I watched too. Dangerous. Oh, they were a mess. Yeah. Because some of them are trying to utilize the way you might approach us or right. uh, Quiet Place and right. explain it where you're trying to explain what's going on. Uh, and uh, yeah, here we are. We're in a room literally where the lights go off automatically. It's like we're descending into madness ourselves. <laughs> um, and those those folks didn't know what they were talking about and they were all relatively honest about that. They were like, this is what I think. I don't know if it's right. 
up there just up front about but it. But it also yeah. means they're probably not worth watching right. to explain it. It's better to rewatch it yourself or listen to Edgar's well, talk. Well, yeah, right. In a world of Easter eggs and we want all that all that crap explained to us. I mean, I, I don't think Eggers wanted people to know the answer to this movie. They did, he didn't want them to say, this is 100% what this movie's about. I mean, I mean, we talked about the, uh, or you brought up at least the, how he approaches his films and the research, the research-based foundation that he has for everything. I mean, the, if we were listening to the same interview, the same, the same podcast, then um, he said it started out as him and his brother saying, we want to make a ghost story in a lighthouse. And that was the kind of the, the basis for it. And then it kind of grew from there. Uh, and they utilized, obviously, clear mythological, um, you know, kind of, storytelling and uh when they use real narrative pieces from the period so the dialect right comes from real dialect from people writing in the time which is interviews with with actual sea captains and and exactly like that yeah insane like how he approached it um and but that's where i mean he he even said robert eggers said like people whether you like my films or dislike my films and if you don't if you don't like uh the way i tell the story or shoot my movies or whatever. Like it's, it's probably because I focus on the atmosphere first and then go to story second, um, which is what that, that, you know, that, that uh, review I just read pretty much would sum up. Uh, this guy doesn't like his story. Yeah. There exactly. isn't a story. He's just seeing atmosphere. Whereas there is story there. Right. So, well, and you know, we're, we're in a place where we don't know what to believe in many cases, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that's different than other films we've seen that have had memory issues or memory play right. style movies. Right. This one really, um, we don't have a clear picture because we're not, I mean, we're really seeing it from, uh, we're, I, we're seeing a point of view here, yeah. but that we're not seeing through that point of view. We're experiencing one person's journey. Mm-hmm. So it's not Defoe. Like we don't, we don't know what Defoe's thinking at all. No, we're si- we're completely being manipulated by him, and so we don't know a hundred percent what he's trying to do to us. If he's purposely manipulating us, if he's not manipulating us, we're obviously on Robert Pattinson's, you know, perspective here, uh, almost but, as if we're yeah. following him around and we're linked. Well, that's in what the brain, it feels like, right? right? As opposed to us understanding Pattinson's position, because we get discoveries from him throughout, right? And we get flashes of his psycho, some. Uh, his psychological issues right right i love i loved that opening sequence when the uh the logs are coming towards us and there's the back of the head and there's the mermaid yeah and we just don't know what that is no idea what that but we find out right you know i i I don't feel like though for much of it i was in his eyes like i was in those dream sequences i feel like i was walking next to him or behind him almost like i was the cameraman yeah watching him be pissed and irritated right. about the experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I, I mean, you're just kind of there watching everything happen and you're helpless to the situation. And we avert our eyes at times, right? Of, you know, even the axe going into uh, Defoe's head. Like, you don't see that. Like, the you don't want to look at no, that happening. No, absolutely. Right? We, we, we stay focused on Pat. And that may be a, you know, a, I don't know, a choice made to save time on set and special effects and that sort of yeah, thing. Well, but it may uh, also be just a, a perspective choice. On We don't want the audience to see that. We want them to avert their eyes a little bit. To, so I, will, I mean, we'll never really know unless we ask him. 
And I'm sure he would probably say a mixture of the two. Yeah, but I, I'm 100% confident he knows why he did it. I think yeah. that's what makes this movie He has a specific. why for everything. Yeah. Uh, he just doesn't care to tell you why. And, and it's not his business. I, I, yeah, I can exactly. imagine the commentary track on this, if he does it, will be astoundingly interesting. Yeah. And in, incomplete because he couldn't possibly get all each piece of data. Right. You know, he talked about low angle stuff in the one interview. Okay. I don't know if it's the one that you listened to. He talks about low, the low angle stuff he does. And he said, you know, the big low angle is during the curse, the curse that uh, Defoe gives Pattinson. And I, I, that, and when he said it, I'm like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. The thing about this movie is I bet you if I say something, you can see it. So right. even though it's fading from your mind, if yeah. I say... Uh, Patterson walking in the rain with a wheelbarrow. Oh yeah, I have a wide you, shot, and you know yeah. what that shot is. Yeah, you know what his face looks like. Yeah, you know if I say you know eaten by a seagull or killing a seagull for goodness' sake, like potentially yeah. the most intense moment in the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, no, there's every. I mean, uh, holding a, a mermaid. No uh, right carving, Ugh. sweating in the boiler room or whatever the heck that that place was. Like, there's these shots that come back even though it was completely black and white you don't have any color color representation for you to, to kind of latch onto. um you have contrast and uh textures and these things that you know and uh, heck even the costume design and like the wardrobe that they're wearing and down to the, like the mustache and beard um like you just you can cling to every single shot in this movie um yeah, re and then I think that's one of the things that really makes it worth the viewing. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, without some frame of reference, this is not a movie I would suggest, and I said this before, for someone to go to if they don't have some measure of film knowledge. Yeah. And if they want to go see it and they don't, they should go find some. Some Find some film knowledge. Yeah, they need okay. to listen to yeah. an interview or go watch something about, you know, Bergman's sort of psychological, uh, right. meta metaphorical uh, filmmaking or go watch Nosferatu or something from those the silent film era. Yeah, and what's interesting is uh let's talk about Nosferatu for just a second. Based on this Wikipedia article from you type in Robert Eggers and there you go. And uh what comes up is in July twenty fifteen it was reported that Eggers would write and direct a remake of the nineteen twenty two silent film Nosferatu based on the Dracula mythology. Uh, blah 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 blah. He said Eggers expressed surprise that Nosferatu remake was going to be his second film saying it feels ugly and blasphemous and egomaniacal and disgusting for a filmmaker in my place to do Nosferatu next. And so I don't think he, obviously he didn't do that. Yeah. Well, I think was probably a good choice. Right. But, but it does mean he knows Nosferatu in a way that is intimate and you uh -huh. can see that, yes. that yeah. kind of film. I mean, he is absolutely a student of film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He know. Yeah. He studied. I mean, I imagine you could go up to him and say, have you seen this movie? And he'll probably start talking to you about it for a solid couple minutes, even if it's only like very basic stuff. I couldn't do that with every film mm -hmm. ever. I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure he's a cinephile, you know, so. Well, yeah. And then his talk about being a theater person to me is fascinating. And as I said before, you know, he talks about the fact mm -hmm. that in rehearsal, these guys work differently. And so Patterson doesn't like rehearsal. Right. right and Defoe loves rehearsal. Well, Defoe comes coming from a uh, theater background. Yeah, well, right? that's what we do, right? And yeah. so Defoe apparently would go and hang out with them, and they would like rehearse monologues, and he dug doing that. <laughs> oh, you have uh, to for the so amount of mo for the amount of monologues that the Defoe, that that Defoe has in this movie, uh, which is something Alec and I talked about. I don't know if you felt yourself going mad listening to him talk, because we I was like I'm I'm 
trying so hard to pay attention to what you're saying and you're saying coherent words and I'm understanding what you're saying, but then I can't put it together as a whole. Did yeah, you feel that it, way? No, but that's because I come from a theater background. So okay. like long, mo so I'm doing, uh, I'm directing Antigone right now Yeah, where there's two page monologues you have to parse. And so in my head, that's like a natural yeah. way of me listening to someone speak. Okay. So I actually didn't have that much difficulty with that, but I can imagine. It just felt like what huge. he was saying was like, he was, it felt like he was going mad himself and just started talking about almost nothing. In well, that curse, that curse is an extraordinary piece of writing. Yeah. And it is long and and difficult to parse. Like, there's no question about it. Uh, that's a, a great piece of writing, but we, hard. As someone coming from a theater background, do you see this uh, easily being transferred to the to the stage? So interestingly enough, Eggers talks about that okay. a little bit in one of the interviews. Uh, yeah, I could, I mean, I could take the script and produce it in, you know, a, a, like this season. Right. To take the script and directly go to the stage, and I don't want Eggers to get mad at me for saying that. <laughs> um, he made a decision not to do it there for some reasons that are legitimate. Right. But the, I mean, even you know, it comes down to me even to the idea of the uh, aspect ratio because yeah. theater provides you with the capacity to create aspect ratio and ex that same experience. And you know, just to sideline that briefly, the mm -hmm. aspect ratio to me had such an impact on my experience yeah. in two ways. One what it was containing and the other was how it fell off onto the wide screen when i was watching it in the theater right so interesting you feel trapped in the in the frame yeah but yeah. also I, the blacks disappear so if people were uh -huh. standing on the edge of uh -huh. frame yes the, yeah the frame just disappeared out and i actually wonder if th that's something no one asked him and i wonder if that was an intentional choice right or if he would prefer people to close their curtains to the edge of the aspect ratio and i'd love right. to know what he thinks about that and if someone knows that please email us and let us know yeah um but yeah if i could put this on the stage in a second i don't know if it would have the same impact the intimacy that film gives you is what theater can't so in we the theater can give you the immediacy of the experience but you can't be looking up at defoe's giant face while he tells you right the like, proximity the to the actors is why this might work better as a film rather yep. than a than a play unless this is a very interactive play where the actors are going to come right up next to you and start you know yeah I throwing can, curses at you, you know yeah I mean? and i could see this too like i think the other thing that makes it feel like theater is the blocking which is so specific mm -hmm. and, and eggers talks about the fact the blocking that they did is uh, was part of the reason they had to rehearse. Right, and, yes, right. And so Defoe's like going full bore while they're rehearsing and Pattison's like walking through the blocking and wants to mark through it. And they were both struggling, right? They're both yeah. irritated with each other in their different styles, which affects, I mean, it's charmingly powerful to the movie. I yeah. love when that yeah, happens yeah. with actors. But I thought the blocking was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's a, like... They're in such close proximity the entire movie and nothing felt the same. You know, it, it was never like, ah, oh, they're sitting in their same same old spot again other than dinner, right. which is what the uh, the most repetitive thing to me was, was eating dinner. Um, but yeah, for them to, you know, the, the, the amount of movement that happened within the cabin, within the within the lighthouse itself was just crazy. Like it, I, it was it was so cool and yeah. it was particularly cool. Uh, that the uh, that that all that motion and all of that action had been so planned that the camera is doing blocking too. Right. And I think in a second viewing, I'm really going to notice that. So I want to read a little um, quote from 
from Eggers here. Uh, I don't know if he was talking to Slate.com or where, wherever it was, but uh, this is him talking kind of about the beginning and uh, the process of writing and that sort of thing. He says, my brother found Act 1 and Act 2 fairly easily, but Act 3 was a continuing challenge. And once we had finally found it, we understood because of aspects that were influenced by Melville that there were going to be allusions to classical mythology. We thought rather than saying what folktale or fairy tale narrative did we accidentally stumble upon, we'd say what classical mythology story or stories did we stumble upon. Once we figured what we were doing, where those parallels existed, that's when the final shot came into existence. I want to ask you about the final shot. Was it startling to you? Did you expect uh, to see a somewhat like Prometheus Robert Pattinson laying bare in a rock and being eaten by gulls? I certainly didn't expect it. Yeah, um, nor did I. <laughs> I. I have to say that there's that's the moment for me where I was like the audience sitting around me must be dazed yeah because um uh you know we're he falls down that staircase uh, and then he's somewhere else and it cuts to black and then the lighthouse is like almost isn't even there and right and we yeah. have to figure out what transpired there yeah but from an image standpoint i that was something else that's the image that has stayed in my head really more than anything else the nudity is so powerful as a visual image uh-huh. because he's yeah being dressed is so important. Like costume is so important in this, yeah. and uh, the seagull thing is terrifying. Yeah, I don't want to be eaten by birds ever. Not but, at all. But something happened right between, or maybe nothing happened between him falling down that staircase and being out on the rock. He, if if something did happen, it meant that he left the lighthouse went to lay by the seaside and took off all of his clothes for some reason and then just laid there. I assume that he was attacked by birds and that's why he stopped moving and didn't continue. But then part of me wants to say like, was there ever really a lighthouse? Was he just stranded on this island this entire time and made the whole thing up? Like, w- like I don't know. What well, the right. Image- the last image is really a giant question mark. And, you know, we don't know what's true and what's not. Right. Yeah. One of the things too is there. He makes that fall when he's painting, and he lands on his back, and then he's back up. And right. my head was like, I don't know how he survived no, that yeah. fall. And I, and my head leaned towards that. But I'm less interested in solving that puzzle. Yeah, to be right, honest, right. I'm much more interested because it's the same thing. You know, he opens up the lighthouse doorway, that doorway to the actual light, right? And he does that weird laughing yell, thing, right, that yell, yeah. whatever happens there, and it's super strange. Where his voice almost turns into the the horn itself. Yeah, yeah. and th- those things to me feel like a kind of cinema I watched. For me, I watched in the eighties in my life um, when I was seriously studying film, and right. there are filmmakers who, you know, Bergman does things that are incomprehensible in some ways. And I'm thinking back to these silent films or these early talking films, these uh, hyper black and white expressionist pieces from Germany. And all of that, it doesn't matter because the image is so powerful. And I place it for me against Midsummer, where we have the same kind of disturbing imagery, but Midsummer's is completely narratively driven. The disturbing nature of it is within the narrative. Which may be why Midsummer freaked me out far more than Lighthouse. Yeah, for sure. Because Lighthouse didn't, I didn't feel terror or, uh, I didn't even feel like this, I could classify this as a distinct horror film. 
because I never felt fear sitting in the theater watching it. I only ever felt like it would really suck if I went mad in a lighthouse <laughs> with Willem Dafoe. Uh, like, no, but like, I, I, like, I just, I felt more sympathy for them than anything else. Um, and I now know not to kill a seabird. Um, ever. definitively. Yeah. Yeah. Don't smash, well, and that's, you smash know, one up. He's yeah. pulling that from, uh, Coleridge's rhyme of the ancient mariner. Right. So like that's a, there's specific images and ideas he's pulling from this classic lit. And that's something that I want to say about the film too, as a, as a critic, my instinct is to say this film's important not just because of all the things you've talked about so far, but because it tells us that understanding and experiencing other cultures, meaning historical cultures, mm -hmm. is valuable to us. I, when, when I do theater, I dig deep into research into those. Like we right. bury ourselves. And so right. when we did Moby Dick, we were deep into the culture of, that this movie's in. So some of these things weren't alien to me. And um, and when you do that and you live and breathe that, it's really interesting and this and healthy, I think. And this movie is a thing people should watch for that purpose. Just to understand a different perspective or understand how things were in the well, 1890s? I, well, or experience like, you, it. I, I, okay. like understand to me is different than experience. So like I uh. don't understand what it's like to be a whaler. But I have had the experience of being in the belly of a whaling ship now. Right, I have right, right. been out in the cold in Mystic with my crew of, of right. actors doing work. And under in that understanding, no. But the experience, the feeling of it, okay, yeah. which gives it validity. And we, I mean, you know, people don't read Moby Dick anymore. Right. They should, but they don't. This is fills that same gap in a lot of right, ways. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Cool. Uh so is there any, um, I, I mean, I just said that the image to me that stayed in my head the most was that final final image. We've talked about imagery a little bit. Well, is you there tell a, me, was it what you expected? Let's talk about uh, the image. Tell me about no, your I'm, experience of the end of that film. No, I don't, I don't really know what I expected to happen because, um, you know, in the same way that, you know, the quote I just read of them, you know, understanding, okay, act one came easy, act two came easy, act three being a continual challenge of, where is this going? How does this end? I wasn't sure. I knew the second that, you know, in act one, when Willem Dafoe says, bad luck to kill a seabird, I was like, he's killing a seagull. Like at some point he's going to kill a seagull. And sure enough, he does. And bad luck's going to come from it. Like I, I, I was like, this is what's going to happen. They're going to be stranded. We've seen the trailer that there's rain and like a storm. So it was no surprise to me there that they, was, they were going to be stranded and, you know, just plummet into madness. But, you know, the whole uh, fight over the light and uh, burying Willem Dafoe in the dirt. Ooh. Also, I don't know how he performed that with dirt being thrown into his face. Uh, the dude's incredible. Um, like seriously, like he just no. kept he just kept going. It's an amazing piece of work. Yeah, he just kept going. Uh, I mean, all the way down to I was I expected somebody to die. I expected one of them to kill the other person. Sure enough, that happened. Um, but I almost expected, uh, you know, Pattinson's character to get trapped in the lighthouse or trapped in the light and completely disappear. I expected it to take almost more of like a sci-fi twist than a, uh, mythological yeah. standpoint, you know, of just him completely disappearing and not being on the rock anymore of not being in the lighthouse. Uh, and then their replacements come and there's nobody there. Like, right. I don't know. Like I just expected, I almost expected it to be a cyclical thing too 
of a loop of them showing back up again at the end of the film and it it literally being another line for line time cyclical thing of of them doing the exact same well and thing. that's the prometheus thing at the end that you point out right so right. prometheus gets his liver eaten out every right. day yeah. and pattinson is living that out and that last image may just be a metaphor for the film a final yeah. image that speaks to the whole film which is right. this horrible experience of reliving this awful nightmare with this person as mm. you go mad yeah and you're tortured for a crime you did right and whether that crime is killing the seabird or that crime is killing the person he killed in the logging whether purposeful or accidental right right, right. and boy that some of those images feel purposeful there's that one dream sequence yeah i think it was the dream sequence where we were also seeing the uh mermaid's vagina which was yeah. a lot um <laughs> and uh you know that's the other thing i want to uh, ask eggers like yeah, i wanted yeah. to how you imagine this first of all <laughs> did you find it in the book and what the actual vagina of the it's mermaid? It's a bold decision. Well, he's talked about the the difference between like the Victorian age mermaid and the now classic single finned mermaid, uh, and he wanted to go for what you normally see on like the Starbucks cup rather than the <laughs> <laughs> rather than like the normal, you know, almost. I think he said the word prude mermaid of today, right? Um, and he referenced fish and shark genitalia. Yeah, and so like. It, but it was like in your face. No, like it was close a, up. I was like, oh, not yeah, expected. It's well, and, and I'm going to say a funny word, I guess. It's so ballsy and it's yeah. not. It's <laughs> vagina y, I guess. But uh, it was, and uh, it's a Doyle moment there for you. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's um, used to it. I, I love that. Yeah. I, I thought that those kind of choices are the difference between the film student and the film expert. Yeah, the film student wouldn't have done that. Or it would have right? been vulgar in a way that wasn't artistic it would uh -huh. you, you, when you, you uh, right 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 right. Yeah, yeah you reach to that extreme you're going to make the mistake unless you're brilliant right, right. Uh, as a student and that sequence i thought was really powerful the um that whole you know the mermaid and then that's the back of that head and the whatever pole getting jammed at it and it spoke a lot to me i i loved those images in the dream uh, yeah. a whole lot but for me the most the biggest image is that curse looking up at the foe's face right. with the detail that comes from good cinematography and really interesting film stock yeah. and antique lenses yeah. on a bizarre film camera yeah you know i mean he just everything he was like this is gonna feel authentic uh and it really does feel like you're watching an old movie it with does. today's modern lighting techniques and and sound, uh, I think sound. the sound is what yeah. they call it. And they put these, they put these masks, and the the lenses are old, right? They use these, I think they use these Bosch and Lom old lenses right. here, and you, it, the film almost looks like it's completely lit naturally with natural light or with candlelight or with lantern light, and they replace the actual bulbs in the lanterns to be these five hundred or seven hundred watt bulbs in actual antique lanterns right uh and oftentimes they're holding it like right up next to their faces and you i mean it feels like there's no other lighting in that area other than the lantern um really cool way to shoot a movie um well and they talk you know eggers talks about the fact that a lot of the weather was real weather right and they're walking around with these ancient cameras and ancient lenses in real rainstorms it sounds awful it sounds awful <laughs> and but appropriate yeah to what the film is doing yeah and, and the other thing is he built the lighthouse did they build it? Yeah. So the lighthouse that was there, what was it? Well, because um, we were asked, it was in Nova Scotia. Everything, I yeah, think it's everything in Nova, Nova Scotia. Scotia yeah. And there's a lighthouse there. Right. And the woman who plays the mermaid is a Russian, I guess. Okay. And she shows up and she says something like, 
um, wh- who built that? And I, it, it was some slur for Russian, mm-hmm. meaning blocky, awful lighthouse. Like that's what she says. And they built a lighthouse, and they had to balance the ability for it to hold weight hmm. and its size. And so they did all this calculation to get something that they could use that could both be cheap enough to not build a real lighthouse and functional for actors to work with. So how big was the lighthouse? I don't know the dimensions. Because again, I'm listening to interviews that are after a film or something. There right. is at least one YouTube piece that talks about the lighthouse I just didn't get to. Because it did. I, I did look this up and they did shoot out of an actual lighthouse. They did. And so I was wondering if that was just for a certain shot or a certain scene of the stairwell or the staircase or something. And they Yeah, I don't know what's in and out of the real lighthouse or not. But everything is shot in the Nova Scotia space. So mm-hmm. this horrible... Yeah. area of nova scotia cold and rainy yeah and yeah i we i mean alec and i talked in the first half of we thought we were like is this a is this whole thing like a miniature and they just had like a sound stage for some of this other we just weren't sure in our first yeah and know, it's not it's all the real crazy place crazy um yeah uh, i i mean i've been on set in the rain and it stinks oh it's horrible so i can't imagine doing this in a lighthouse with Two guys who are just acting crazy and like yeah, and you know, working insane. on a what has to be a difficult budget um, because you're having to make these decisions in this weird location. So yeah, is there a uh, another film that this reminded you of in any way? Um, is there a film that comes to mind? So the strange things for me, it's the Seventh Seal for okay. sure. Um, it is, and it's not the same movie, but right. it's super reminiscent of it, uh, and for sure, I mean. I can't avoid Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and right. and Nosferatu. I can't avoid the pieces of expressionist cinema in my mind. It just looks like that to me. Yeah. And then, of course, when I looked it up on IMDb to sort of make sure I had names right, I found that there's a 2016 uh, lighthouse <laughs> that has the same freaking description that I haven't watched. Yeah, uh, maybe we should watch that. We should probably watch that and and not compare, but at least see what it is. Um, no, I don't know. What about you? Um, I mean, we've Alec and I again. We talked a little bit in the first half, uh, but briefly, not about the movie itself, but uh, The Shining really kind of came to mind for both of us. Uh, of you know this guy who's kind of going mad in this you know kind of cabin fever like stuck yeah. in this place it's uh you know it's not raining and there's no seabirds but you know it does snow a little bit and there's some axes uh and hauntings and murders and like things that happen in this creepy place you know i don't i, I in the same way that i i don't really classify the shining so much as a horror film either in my mind because it doesn't feel like it's your modern day horror film or a classic. Right. I mean, it clearly is like Stephen King wrote it and he's the king of neo horror books at this point. Right. But, uh, I never classify the shining as something that's like, this is a horror film. I'm going to watch a horror film. I'd never really describe it that way to somebody. And the same way I would never describe the lighthouse as a distinct, like you want to go watch this horror film, the lighthouse. Uh, it's much more complex than that. Um, but I mean, as much I love The Shining, I'm excited for Doctor Sleep coming out later this year. And, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I just I found that it it did compare a little bit to this movie. Whether or not it's better or worse than The Lighthouse is really just up to you know each person's preference of if they like a, a more cohesive story. And I I don't I mean I you can follow The Shining very easily as far as narrative storytelling goes, right? It is very narrative rather than 
you know, the lighthouse people losing their minds and going crazy in this. But it is place. about atmosphere and location. That's yeah. why Dr. Sleep is yeah. recreating locations, right? Right. Uh, it is an atmospheric piece. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's difficult for me. It just looks like something of another time. Like Battleship Potemkin's another film that came to mind when right. I was watching it. Uh, it is. It feels of that era to right. me. Yeah, there's all these movies I haven't seen that you're referencing, and I need to. I'm go sorry. Watch. Yeah, I that, need to go watch them now. It's, uh, yeah, you've been around longer than I have. I, I have for sure, and I'll give you links or send you <laughs> copies of all of that stuff. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah. Um, how long have we been going? Uh, yeah, like we're long enough. So why don't we do another rating? I'm gonna walk out and shake the light on again. Yeah, do it. Uh, for me, I'm still sticking with seed in theaters. Um, definitely see it in theaters for the sound. I mean, the sound design alone is a reason to see this not on your crappy TV, um, or even with your subpar headphones, like go see it in theaters for the sound by itself. Cause everything was just so, uh, purposefully designed. Uh, and I know that he talks about in, whether it's in an interview, uh, online written somewhere or in a podcast somewhere, I know Robert Eggers is going to talk about sound design and a sound designer or assistant editor um there i'm not even gonna talk about it but we can talk about it when we get offline because okay. it's, it's just a weird thing to even say on the mic but uh yeah like it's the sound uh for sound alone go see it in theaters but i mean for the visuals too it was it was stunning and i'm sure it was actually interesting to see it with a group full of people that were like just like literally not people. knowing you what know, we, to do with themselves. After I'm this. usually sitting next to you yeah. or you and Alec, whatever. Yeah. And then there's empty seats. And right. here I was like boxed in with really? people. Uh, so it was weird. very strange. Um, and again, they were a great audience. So it could have been bad, yeah. especially with a film that's challenging. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't. Do you think this is an Oscar contender? Um, uh, I think yes. For I'm going to say Defoe is going to be up. I want to say Pattinson may be up as well. I don't know. Are they both leads? They have to both be listed as lead, I would yeah, think. Yeah, I would imagine so, too. So I'm going to say at least one of them is up. If I have to pick one, it's going to be Defoe. Right. Um, I want to say that, you know, Eggers may get a nod for Best Director or Best right. Original Screenplay with him and his brother. Yeah, and uh, I think sound design should be on sound there design, and yeah. potentially cinematography. Yeah. A yeah, book. it's they could be up there for a, a, a lot of things. Yeah, actually, not so. Best Film. I don't think. Yeah, it depends on what comes out in this second half and how, yeah. or the last two months, really. And it's and, also really challenging, and I think it falls into a know? category that people may not jump. I'm going to say it's going to be up for best picture. Okay, I don't think it's going to be up for best. Picture. Only be I love the fact that we disagree on that. I too. Th I think it may be up for best picture because they they I feel like every year they keep upping the amount of films that are going. Okay. Because <laughs> I think like a couple of years ago it was like five, and now it's up to like eight, and yeah. like for all we know now it's going to be a twelve, like which is pretty much every good movie that's come out this year, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, is So I'm going to say it's going to be up for Best Picture because I'm trying to think right now what else would go up. And without seeing it, if I'm going to have to guess my list here of films that would go up right now for Best Picture, it's going to be uh, without having seen them too. I'm going to say that Irishman is going to be up for Best Picture. I'm going to say, uh, this is hard, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Maybe up for Best Picture. Parasite will be up for Best Picture. Haven't seen that yet. Well, Parasite's foreign, though, I think. So it, it may not. Well, no, it could be, it right? It could be. It's the new rules. All yeah, right. right. Uh, 1917, maybe? Yeah. Uh, see, let's see. Uncut Gems. Yeah, there's really... 
Oh, Midsummer could be up there. Midsummer could be. It's just so hard it. with no horror, one's, though. No one's you know, gonna, no one's gonna, I can imagine um, they're like all looking at their ballot in Vienna. The thing, the thing is, I know that like, I know that Endgame won't be up for Best Picture. I know that John Wick Three won't be. I know Godzilla certainly won't certainly be. Rocket Man, Dark Phoenix, Men in Black Four, Dead Don't Die, All Out, Spider Man, Hobbs and Shaw. Like I would say, The Farewell is going to be up for Best Picture as well. Blinded by the Lights. Well, Farewell's American, right? So that's yeah. definitely fine. I would say Farewell is absolutely going to be up for okay. Best Picture. Yeah. But I can't think of the movies that we've seen this year. I can't choose eight that I'm like, no, absolutely. So I'm going to say The Lighthouse is in there. Okay. I'll take that. I, I, well, I think we're going to have an interesting couple of months yeah. here coming up. But uh, yeah, so uh, my uh, review, and I'm going to stick with it, is if you are not someone who wants to watch film, if you're going just yeah. for entertainment, do not see it in a theater. Right, right, right. Watch it at home where you can pause, go to the bathroom, get a drink of water, have a meal, come back. <laughs> um, like break the movie like up. Like break into the movie parts. up so it's mm. digestible. Yeah. And that you can look up references and try and make sense of it. Right. I think that someone could get swallowed in this without sure. some... without, And it doesn't mean you need to be educated, although education is going to make it richer. I think you just need to be interested because you don't want to go and feel like you wasted your money on it and be yeah. negative after the fact. But otherwise, I think you're absolutely right yeah. to experience this movie in the bizarre uh, and and wonderful uh, aspect ratio with that intense sound is something you can only really experience in a room with yeah. a big screen, yeah. trying to deal with the fact that it doesn't play by the rules we're used to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, yeah, I could, if you are at all intrigued by the trailer, just go see the movie. You know, yeah. if you have, if you're not interested in the trailer, if you say it looks dumb, then just watch it when it comes out. You know, so I feel like that goes for most movies, though. But <laughs> you never no, know. Well, you never know. Uh, well, I think we've seen a third trailer now for Dark Fate, right? For Terminator Dark Fate, there's three <sighs> different trailers. Don't get me started. That's not going up for Best Picture. That's not. That trailer <laughs> looks really, really bad. Uh, it bugs the hell out of me when she says, "I'll be back." Yeah, I just don't want her to say it every you, time. You I know hope what trailer they didn't engage me was the Parasite trailer, and I know the movie's going to be good. And yeah. the trailer's really interesting because it has to dance around everything. Right. But well, this movie doesn't, right? Because right. there's no surprises. It's so ab- this movie's skip. almost abstract. The Lighthouse is abstract, yeah. and it's like if you don't know the context of what's happening, it can just show you whatever is happening. But with Parasite, and we haven't seen it yet, but. I imagine there's a ton of twists and turns and spoilers and decisions that are made that they have to withhold from the trailer that if you knew ahead of time, it's going to f- diminish your yeah, viewing Every of the warning film. I've had is don't look at a thing. Don't look at a thing. Yeah. Whereas for this, that wasn't the case. And I think someone could go and legitimately watch one of these marginally spoiler, like our program or you know one of these interviews and go to the film and have a better experience right. because of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the things we're talking about aren't things that are like give it away sure we give things away we tell endings and how that you know not necessarily how it transpired but like you're still going to be shocked and in awe almost at the sound design and the cinematography and now you're like connecting the pieces of what we talked about and putting it all together and yeah yeah you could still go see it after listening to our spoiler filled uh anything else you want to add on the movie no i don't i i feel like this is a movie i'm going to go back to over and over again yeah uh, and not necessarily with the greedy pleasure that I go back to Endgame uh-huh. with, right? Yeah. But uh, I, I want to watch it again. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Not necessarily for fun, but because it's 
how would you describe it? I don't want to say it's enjoyable to watch, but it's like, yeah, it's rewarding. I yeah. think rewarding and I, I enjoyable is the wrong word, right? It really is the, like completely the wrong word, but it's valuable. I, I that even sounds like a stupid word. I, I don't know. You know. Like I can't describe like how I feel watching it. Like so what, why don't we ask our listeners to yeah. give us their thoughts? Yeah. How do you feel? Anyway. How do you feel watching the lighthouse? Essentially? What? Is it enjoyable for you or is it more like, uh, some other Something, positive uh, is it, word. Is it, uh, yeah. Or not. Or not. <laughs> is it punishing? Is it, is, it, is it a punishment for you to watch Lighthouse? I don't know. Um, Want to close out? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Well, guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Racking Focus podcast. Guys, we want you guys to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can email us at... Uh, rackingfocuspod at gmail.com for all of our social media you can head to rackingfocuspodcast.com and find us on social media there there's tons of information on that website but we also want you to go straight to the podcast uh, device you use whether it's apple podcasts or uh, whatever else you may find us on uh, spotify wherever it may be and leave us a review we'd love no matter what a review on apple podcast it makes a big difference in people's ability to find us so a good five-star review and maybe some comments that we can then use to determine the path we're going to take and of course you can always contact us i don't think you said it yet but at rackingfocuspod at gmail.com and so there you go that's great so we're going to be back in a week with uh another i guess horror film parasite with parasite so yeah. if you're watching us sequentially or listening to us sequentially there you go that's the sequence if not you probably may have already listened to parasite yeah and we're coming close to the end of our first season here end of the year uh if you know of movies that are coming out in 2020 that you desperately want us to see and review please send us an email or or get at us on instagram or twitter and we would be happy to consider those films all right thanks for listening we'll see you next time Thanks for listening to the Racking Focus Podcast.